0: I have uh, Matt Phelps, who's the owner of Metabolic here in Albany, and um, you know I was I was really so Matt. I don't know if you know much about what I do, but I've got I've got a lot of the, the younger generation in aesthetic medicine that follows me and listens to our podcast just because I love mentoring and teaching and um, and in our space in aesthetic medicine there there are people who've really struggled in made a lot of, you know, broken out of just traditional medicine and become successful. And so as physician entrepreneurs, we we kind of uh, are different from the rest of the world. But, uh, you know, you are an entrepreneur in your own right um, because of your success in and in, in health and wellness. And the reason that, and I really I typically don't have other people on except people I find very intriguing. So oh,
1: well, thank you <laughs> is a
0: compliment. But. You know, I've been so fascinated fascinated by what you've been able to accomplish in a very brutal industry, very brutal industry, uh, cutthroat. Um, And and also, I've always been very uh, admired your discipline. And you know, years ago, a buddy of mine said to me, "You know, one thing that always like I was always so jealous of you is you were so disciplined." And I know how disciplined you are, and we're going to hear a little bit about it, but. You know, I knew you grew up in this area. You went to Albany Academy, right? Correct. Um, Yes, I did. And and did you did you play a lot of did you play a lot of sports then? I know you're a sports enthusiast. Yeah, yeah.
1: I played them all as a kid. I played uh, baseball, basketball, football, wrestling, soccer. I tried everything as a kid, and it was funny. I was talking to someone about this the other day, and I think we had such an advantage back then because. We had to play sports because, and you could probably relate. There was, there wasn't a lot else to do. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of these other things these kids now have now. And I have a, I have a six and a half year old son, and it's trying to get him to play sports is tough because he's got, he's got his iPad, he's got his so many other options for them um, yeah, now. But, the but, shut, yeah, but parents shut the house. Yeah, come exactly. Back inside, come, come back inside on. in four hours. Figure it out. Go in the woods. <laughs> but yeah. uh, no, I, I played them all. I, my first love in life was baseball. I'm a diehard Toronto Blue Jays fan. I played second base. Um, I could feel pretty well. I remember I was just telling one of our coaches at Metabolic, Tim O'Connor, who played college baseball at Fordham, actually. He's a good player, good athlete. And uh, we were reminiscing about, you get to that age 13, 14, where you can hear the ball start to come in. Yeah. That's about the age where hitting started getting a little tough for me. <laughs> so hung up baseball. I played soccer in high school. Um, the sport I wish I'd played, though, and I don't know. I, f- I feel like you might be similar to me. I wish I'd played lacrosse. We just didn't yeah. – I wasn't that exposed to it in high school, and it, it wasn't that big of a thing. But, man, I, I would have loved to play lacrosse, but I didn't play. But Yeah,
0: I, I think with your physique and my – I was a wrestler yeah. in high school, and, um, you know, that was – it, it consumed us pretty much all year round. But, yeah. um, but when I moved – I grew up in the Hudson Valley, but when I moved upstate, if you want to call it that, I remember seeing these people playing – playing the cross at college, I'm like, what yeah. is that game? I'd never, you know, and I felt the stick felt so awkward at that point. You know, you're you're you're, you know, past all that. But well, um, you
1: you re- you went to Cornell, correct? So that's I did, a, yeah. that's a hot yeah. that's all
0: lacrosse hotbed for sure. <laughs> it was, but yeah. again it was all brand new to me. I've right. never seen it before and yeah. I only grew up a couple hours south of here. Yep. But I I think it's a great it's a great game. I um, love it. It's a great game and as you know it's very big in in, in our area. Um when you when you finished high school, I know you went to Siena. Did you play sports there?
1: No, I didn't play any sports at Siena. Siena's is a Division One school, so it's pretty. Even though it's a mid major uni- uh, college, it's uh, pretty competitive. Um, you got to be a pretty damn damn good player. Even I was. Uh, I later became the strength coach there, which I'm sure we'll get into. But I remember it's such an adjustment for those kids because every kid, and I trained a lot of the athletes. Every kid on the team was the best of the best in high school and played their whole life as the top player on their team. And then they go to this college team and they're like, wow, I'm not playing a lot. And that's the first time they've ever experienced that. I wasn't nearly at that level of an athlete, but uh, college is where I discovered the weight room for sure. Um, that's yeah. where I, my love for fitness did, did develop.
0: Is that where you started with, you know, at Siena with your, you know, for your interest and love for fitness and it's oh. not just fitness is wellness. I mean, it's become a lifelong passion for you.
1: Oh, absolutely. I remember um, my sophomore year in Ryan Hall at Siena College, just our whole floor, our whole wing of guys, we would all go down to the weight room every day, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. And we'd we'd lift, we'd work out, we'd go eat, get some dinner after. It was just a whole like, that's what taught me that I loved working out and I loved the results. And um, I was very interested in trying to impress the girls back then. So I was willing to do anything it took to do that. Mm -hmm. but uh i really what i took from it the most that i carried with me to this day is the community and the brotherhood that strength training together built Mm -hmm. and later in life i was able to bring that at metabolic to whole groups of adults at the same time and really build that community feel which i think uh i learned at sienna i always attribute sienna a special place it really is and i attribute the community aspect of that school to something that i always took with me for for the whole rest of my life and was a big part of our success
0: Look, I've had four kids go to Siena. One's a physician and, you know, one's still there, but, um, uh, you know, one's finance and, you know, my daughter Riley, you know, yes. I've had, I, I, and I, I got it. And my nephew is, you know, you know, uh, my nephew, Ricky Bauer. Yep. Um, Now I was most impressed Sienna Siena wasn't on the radar. Cause it, it just, it was years ago. And, right. uh, but they, I tell people there's something special about that school. Um, mm. The, the camaraderie there, I went to my nephew's bachelor party many years ago, and I just I, I met these kids and every one of them was, you know, and, and I'm, I was thinking to myself, what a great, what a great place. It's very, I don't want to say a nurturing school, but I mean, it, it really does. Build relationships, and I think that that's. Uh, I remember talking to Bob Cushing once, when probably fifteen years ago, we're we we're at the board level, and he's talking about the future and his concerns about the economy in Siena. And I said, right. "Yeah, but Siena has one thing that a lot of these schools, you know, Union and Amherst don't have. There's it's almost a cult, and people will open their pockets and, and oh yeah. and, and 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 help that school." I didn't go to school, and I've given more to you know to Sienna than I am. I feel mom. like you did though. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I didn't. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, honorary alum. <laughs> I'm a legacy legacy family. They call me now. but um, so just to kind of fast forward right now, sure. I mean, how many studios do you have? So
1: we are actually opening our 14th studio in Glenville, New York, uh, right outside Schenectady, New York, yeah. on Monday. So we have 14.
0: Yeah, it's incredible. I mean. When did you, because I remember now back when you first started, right? you're uh, down, you were by, down by the, um, down in Manans. Uh, yes, yep. the Manans. and, and uh, my wife would work out there and she'd say, you've yep. got to come down and there were six or seven or eight women. You had guys <laughs> waiting around the parking lot. Yep, and, yep. Um, and how many years ago was that? So I opened
1: that facility. It's crazy because I was talking to my brother about this. He's uh he's a uh, he he ended up going on to law school, but he helped me open that first studio, that first gym we had in 2008. So it was 15 years ago. 15
0: years ago. That's yeah. about, I was just. I was talking to my wife on the like way out home in the car, and I was like, "How many years ago was that?" Because I, I remember, and you know, um, back then it was called metabolic meltdown.
1: Right. Correct. Yes. So-
0: what, what was your thinking back then? And like, how did you come up with a name? And what did, what was your vision for? Yeah. Is so what you're doing now yeah. is extraordinary. It's, it's yeah. a very well, different business model, but anyway, go ahead. Tell me about you. it. Thank you.
1: I appreciate that, Ed. So, yeah. So I'll be completely can- candid. I had a two parts to that, to that facility. I had two little rooms. They reach about a thousand square feet. As you remember, you I remember you were there and they were small. And like you said, there was a truck driving school and there'd be truck drivers smoking cigarettes. <laughs> outside and I would have the, the women run laps around the building, not because I loved running laps around the building, but I was just trying to free up space in the room. And that's why I would do that at that time. But I trained, uh, I was fortunate enough through my connections at Siena, which we just referenced to train a man named John Murray, who was a big mentor to me at the time. I know John. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know John well, uh, very successful businessman himself, um, you know, long time career in the insurance industry. But John took me out to, uh, to breakfast one day and said, hey, my son is playing for LaSalle. And to back up a little bit, I had trained his sons when they were little. They were probably 12, 14 years old. I had privately trained them when I was a strength coach at Siena just to make a little extra money. And John was always great to me. He always took care of me. So I moved to Washington, D.C. for a year after I was at Siena. But when I came back to the area to open my own business, John took me out to breakfast. I'll never forget. We went to the Denny's in East Greenbush. And he, uh, he's, or, I'm sorry, the Cracker Barrel in East Greenbush. And he set me I up had, with,
0: I've had breakfast with him. <laughs> I'm
1: sure you have right there. That's his spot. Um, he set me up with the whole team. Like he's such a great guy. He set me up with the whole team. So I trained the whole South football team yeah. and their moms started asking me if I would train them, the mothers of the kids on the team. So I was like, sure, I'll train you guys. And you know, at the time I'm in my late twenties, I'm a, I'm kind of a meathead into the bodybuilding type stuff. And I- I didn't take it that seriously. I'll be honest. Like I I put them through the circuits, uh, ladders, jump rope, all that stuff. But I called it, I had to think of a name, so I called it metabolic meltdown. And that was really the genesis of it all. That's how it all started.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, it seemed like after you moved out of there, things really just took off with your, you know, and so your business model back then was pretty much, you know, uh, athletic training and, 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 you know, fitness, basic, some fitness for, for a lot of the women. Right. How would you describe your business model now?
1: Yeah, so my, my business philosophy, I always call it pizza sushi. That's what I say to people. And they're like, what? <laughs> I say, let me explain. You either make the best pizza or you make the best sushi. If you try and sell both, you're, you're going to drown. You're going to die. And, and thats I learned that lesson a long time ago. I, had a, I was fortunate enough. I had a lot of um, successful men like yourself who worked out with me at the gym and I personal trained, and they would always give me little nuggets, little tidbits of business advice back then, and I soaked it all in. I listened to as much as I could. I think I got more value than they even realized at the time, and I remember this one, this one gentleman, Ned, Ned Berkowitz, and he said to me, he's like, why are you training me? Why don't you train, just go over there and focus on those adults. Get men in there, get women in there, just do it, just do it, just commit to it, and it took me about a year to finally listen to him, and I did, but Basically, it turned into what my philosophy is now. It's, it's group strength training at a, at a pace. So basically, you're getting stronger. You're building lean muscle. Um, but strength training is the primary focus. And in doing so, it's safe. It's effective. It's efficient. It's 45 minutes. For people like you, Ed, you don't have time to make these decisions. every. You make a lot of decisions during your day. It's just one less decision you have to make when you come into our studio and we kind of make that decision for you. What workout, what you're going to do, the weights you can use, things like that. So um, that's all we do. We don't do anything else. That singular program is all we do. We've been able to fine tune it, to master it and to deliver it in a scalable fashion. I mean. I didn't see it going through me. Not easy. That's no, not easy. no, it's 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 very tough.
0: So and, uh, I remember yeah. not even so long ago, and I don't know if you still do it, you would you would you would design or devise the workout for the day every single day.
1: Yeah. Back then, uh it's a lot more intricate now. Yeah. Back then, Ed, at, at 4 30 and at 4 a.m., I would drive into work and I would think about the workout in my brain. I've always been quick on my feet like that. So I would just think of the workout in my brain and I would write it on the board at 4.40 a.m. The women would start walking in 10 minutes later and away we would go. And I did that every day for, for a couple of years. Um, but now I have a couple of very talented young men under me, uh, Tim O'Connor and who I referenced earlier and Pat DeVoe. And the three of us come up with the workouts together, but really I'm mentoring and trying to teach them how to create the workouts um, mm-hmm. so we can continue to scale. And they, they've caught on quick and they've done a phenomenal job. They
0: really have. So in the in the Green Island Studio that you have, I mean on a, on a typical class, which they're yeah. about whether about fifty minutes or something or there, yeah, or something? yeah,
1: like forty five. We, we we marketed it as forty five minutes. They're never shorter. Some of them do go a little closer to fifty minutes, but yeah, yeah. somewhere in there.
0: How many people are typically there in a in a session?
1: Yeah, so in in our green in most of our studios, we have thirty six
0: people per class, yeah. and a lot of people.
1: Yeah. And back in the day, though, it was a lot more. <laughs> but COVID, one of the things that COVID did do for us, I always, I'm an optimistic person. And I think you kind of have to be to be a successful entrepreneur. Right. If you're pessimistic, it's just going to be yeah. tough for you. Yeah. But I, one of the things I took from COVID was it forced us to streamline our business model, our processes, our procedures, our organization. So now we have stickers where everyone goes. We have a preset number of spots per class. It's some. We have uh, three studios, Delmar, Clifton Park, and what's the other one? Saratoga, that, that have 42 people in a class. And mm-hmm. we always have two coaches at those classes. But uh, most of our studios have 36.
0: But, yeah, it, it is a lot. And that's, that's the blue part of your flame. I mean, those strength group strength training, which obviously, I mean, that's what differentiates you. It is. Absolutely. And it's, it's
1: very hard to execute in a group setting. And when I back, back when I was was the strength coach at Siena as a young kid, 23, 24 years old, barely older than the kids uh, that were, I was training. I quickly figured out how to effectively train large groups in an organized fashion. And over the years, I've learned how to take what I knew then and apply it today Two mm-hmm. groups now, where we can provide modifications, regressions, progressions, and a lot of people mess up. Because uh, to be honest, like a lot of people use barbells and group settings and, and, and fancy pieces of equipment that can be a little dangerous at times uh, if not closely monitored. And we really go more towards body weight movements, um, TRX suspension training, band work, dumbbells, kettlebells, things that are a lot safer. And can be learned a lot more easily by the clients, which has been instrumental to our growth.
0: I, I mean, I think that's been a lot of your success, as you know. Without getting into, you know, other things that are out there, right? There are a lot of um, things that have not been systematized. People who don't have the training, education that are injured, and that doesn't do that doesn't bode well for your business. It also doesn't bode well for you know longevity as far as keeping right. people coming yeah. back, right? Yeah, with, with injuries. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I mean, injuries, I always tell people too, and I always am a little bit defensive of, of other fitness businesses, right? Because I don't think there's a single fitness business. People, you're training hundreds and thousands of people every single day. You do your very best to keep people safe. But people um, at times can use improper technique in any facility and get hurt. Of course. But they're going to do that whether or not we monitor them. So in my mind, like we're helping people every single day train more safely than they would on their own. And that's what it's all
0: about. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it wasn't like you had this epiphany one day. You just it just kind of evolved into that business model. Yeah, oh, it, it was what you knew, right? It was not, your... not at all. When I I took
1: a loan out from my grandfather, he was a, a twenty five thousand dollar loan. It's probably his whole life savings, to be honest with you. He was a World War II veteran, forty three missions in the Pacific Ocean. He was a nose gunner in World War II, and he was a bank inspector his whole life, and he was a survivor of the Great Depression. And <laughs> he was—I'm sure you can relate to some of these stories. I mean, he tracked. He's a man that walked with his head down his whole life because he would pick up coins on the ground, and he kept a journal counting how much money every. He'd show me his book when I was a kid. He'd be like, 1984 was a good year. I caught—I got thirty-seven dollars in change that year. Wow. So. When he lent me the money um i remember one day one one month i was three days late for my payment just because i was lazy i would always drive over and give him a check and i was lazy and he he lit me up i mean he reamed me out but you it just he taught me a lot but my point in saying that is when he loaned me that money i really thought i was going to train pro athletes in albany new york i had no intention of of uh doing what i'm doing now and i never had a business plan for that I always had an incredibly strong work ethic, and like you said, very disciplined. And I love helping people. And through my desire to help people and my willingness to work hard and be kind, um, this kind of just appeared in front of me. I've always been opportunistic, and I I saw an opportunity, and I took it, and I was able to kind of go with that. But it was never part of the plan. I I didn't have a plan to, to open 14 gyms. Even when I had four or five, I didn't have a plan to open 14 gyms which I think scares some of my employees about what I may do next or try to do but we'll see
0: so when did you when did you make that decision to you know I'm going to scale this um, oh yeah scale this because sure. it, again that's not easy to do absolutely
1: so the gentleman I referred to earlier, Ned Berkowitz, he'd been—he was one of my personal trained clients. He's actually one of our members up in Queensbury. Yeah, I know who he is. Yeah, I know. I figured you might know Ned. He—he's uh, a great guy. His—his uh, his kids went to Albany Academy. I trained yeah. his son Mike, great football player. I trained him all through high school, college. Went to Hobart, it was a great tight end. Um, I trained him, and I trained Ned and Roberta, his mother as well. But uh, around that time, I decided, you know what? Like my wife was a principal. Um, At a local charter school. Wasn't very happy with her current profession. I said, listen, like this was in July, August. I said, take just take the year off. We'll figure this out. Just come with me. We have enough saved up. Just help me promote the business. I had just brought my sister in to handle the bookkeeping because mind you. Yeah. Mind you, before this, I was doing the billing, the bookkeeping, the cleaning, Everything with the business. I did every little thing with the business for a few years. I did. I did every little thing that had to do with it. So when I brought my sister in to do the billing, I was like, wow, this is amazing. And I quickly learned that when you bring in a smart, intelligent, doesn't hurt to be a good looking young woman to do your collecting. People are very willing to to pay them more so than me. So I quickly learned that. But I remember being relieved at that. I freed up time, which is huge. There's nothing more valuable than your time. Um, My wife came in and did a lot of marketing for us. I went all in on the metabolic program. I I hired a couple of key employees who are still with me today. And and we really started rocking and rolling. And that was probably about 2013 that Mm -hmm. that happened um, and and about 10 years ago. So it didn't. It didn't take, it took a few years for me to get to that yeah,
0: point. Well, it always does. I mean, there's one, there's, um, you know, one thing that I've learned about um, entrepreneurs is that they will outwork. And that was, I, 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 I knew that was my secret weapon, you know, oh, yeah. trying to get through medical school, trying to get in, trying to get through my surgical training because the training was so competitive and to get into plastics. And I, I, I just said I, I, I wasn't smarter than everybody, but I, I knew I could outwork them. And I hear this over and over from the other thing I hear about entrepreneurs is that, you know, they're they're optimists. And um, I'm the eternal optimist. You know, people can treat me, treat me poorly. And I'm always going to just think that, you know what, I'm, you know, whatever. I, I you know, I'm happy. I wake well, I'm up. The same. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but, but the one thing about the one thing about being the eternal optimist that, that maybe you can relate to is that we can make. You know, we can be overly optimistic and make some bad mistakes along the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> trusting or we you know, yeah. we believe that we're going to, you know, we're going to overcome something. I still think that the hard work somehow, you know, uh, makes up for your mistakes, because I can tell you, I, I, I'm sure. And that's what I'm going to ask you. I, I mean, there have been times when we banked on something we opened we opened a Rejuva Center in Saratoga way before our time and the thing fell flat and you know, we yeah. lost a fortune, you, you know, <laughs> yeah. and we pulled out. What have, what have been some big mistakes that like, you know, were financial disasters for, you know, it means from a yeah. business point of view. Oh yeah,
1: sure. Absolutely. And, I you can think learn
0: from, and you'll never I've, do that again.
1: Yeah. I can think of the, the first one that jumps in my head is the first studio we opened out of market. When I say out of market for the listeners, we have, Studios in Albany, New York, Syracuse, New York, and Rochester, New York. So we have upstate New York kind of covered. Um, we haven't gotten to Buffalo yet, but we're getting there. But uh, I remember when we first went into Syracuse, I was a little cocky. I was feeling myself and I, I got a lease. I got, a, I, got this, I got it staffed. I had 10 classes. I had three full-time coaches and didn't do much marketing for the gym because I said, we're Metabolic Meltdown. People know who we are. And we're on Facebook. (laughs) That was I thought that was good enough. And I remember we opened the studio and crickets. I mean, I might have had three or four people there. Ironically, one of them who came that day, her husband is one of my best coaches in Syracuse today. So me being the optimist, I think that alone was worth it. But I lost hundreds of thousands of dollars in that gym, just taking two, three years to get to a break-even standpoint compared to where we are now and the marketing team we have we have over 300 trials signed up for Glenville starting on Monday, so um, we've definitely come quite a long way. But like probably like yourself, you're an incredibly successful, man, and you learn. I view that as education, and and you learn from those things and apply that new knowledge to, to get better. But that that one jumps right out to me.
0: How did you how did you rectify turn Syracuse around?
1: Because uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think part of me is I, I'm resilient and somewhat stubborn, also, and I will not just give up on something. I will, I will see it through. And candidly, just it took a lot of visits, it took a lot of belief, it took a lot of uh, instilling the product into the coaches to deliver it to the clients to build the word of mouth. And eventually, it did happen and it did turn. And our second studio out there, I'll never forget this. I in Manlius, New York, which is a great community of people. Sure. I trained in um,
0: Syracuse, so I, I know Syracuse.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, you know Syracuse well. So, in um, Manlius, I signed that lease, and um, literally five days later, the country shut down with COVID. Okay. <laughs> so I remember that very well. And uh, we we were just having multiple gyms in a market, though, really does help the brand presence as a whole, and, and that helped us a ton. So um, the way I rectified that, Ed, was just going out there, being a part of it, building culture, training. Um, believing in our coaches, treating them well, trying to build their confidence and their ability level, and educating them, and eventually over time, it, it did turn.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, we all had you know curveball when when COVID hit us, right? I mean, oh, I think everybody, yeah. but I think you guys had it worse than anyone. Did yeah, you? We we closed, we closed uh, when the world closed down in March, and and. Our governor told us that in you know about a month we can open up, and that was mid-April. May fifteenth, twenty twenty, was a Friday, and to me that told me I'm opening May fifteenth. And the governor, as of that week, was saying no, and I said Sc- screw you. Basically, I'm opening back up. You know, I've been doing this for twenty five years. I've dealt with I've dealt with HIV. I've dealt with you know, and this is not fair. We did open up, but you guys had it was a long time getting people back to gyms. And then you also had people like afraid to come back to gyms. How did you deal with all that financially? I mean, we had the PPP, whatever the PPE whatever the money and but, but it's, it's an awful lot to overcome it. I mean, it really shoots a hole in your business model.
1: Right? Well, this is where a couple of things that the PPP loans did absolutely help us a ton during that time get through. I'll, I'll fully disclose that I'm still not entirely sure where that money came from, but we were, we'll be be paying for it. (laughs) I'm sure. Right. Um, we were recipients of that, which definitely helped us, but to your point, it was a very uncertain time. And similar to you, you're trying to staff, you're trying to plan for the future. Um, it was hard. And I remember, so right when COVID happened in March, I'm very, um, quick on my feet. And one of the things that I did on the second day, I said, we got to start filming workouts and put them on Facebook. So I filmed, we were filming four or five workouts a day before it got real bad. So we had about a month worth of content and we were able to assign coaches a client, a bunch of clients. Each coach got a bunch of clients to text message, interact with, hold accountable, make sure they were doing the workouts. Um, We did that all through COVID we didn't get to come back to what, September, I think it was for us. So it was about six months. So um, we were able to do the parking lot workouts over the summer, I remember. So that kind of got us through, but- Um, Honestly, it just speaks, Ed, to the community and the community we have and the way we built that community and the people that believed in us and didn't want to see us fail because this really is a lot of our clients' third place. There's home, there's work, and there's metabolic for a lot of these people. So um, that community, we kept 66% of our clients on during that time, paying full rate for that service. And when we came back in September, Ed, to be honest with you, I think people were just so sick of just being bottled up that in a way it was a little bit, it's our gym is social. And I mean, you've been in there, it's yeah, social. Yeah. So people were craving that interaction. So um the working out in the mask was not fun, um, especially with a workout that's a little bit on the intense side like ours. But um, fortunately, once we came back in September, we really started to turn
0: a corner and, and things did get better. So when would you say is a transition from – there's a, there's a tr- transition and a lot of people don't make it from, you know, being a kind of a cook, bottle washer, everything entrepreneur to, to because what you have now is a business. Right. Back then you had a gym, at, you know, you were there, you were working it you know, if, if uh, Matt Phelps disappeared, the place would fall apart. How did you know? How was that transition? And, and you know, did you, you know what did you specifically do? To get yourself to that point, I mean, I read a lot of personal and professional, you, know, you know, professional development stuff. I never stop reading this stuff. I will. I always know there's someone. But what did you do? Because clearly, clearly, you did something to allow you to scale it. Because that's not easy,
1: right? So the one word I'll use. It all starts with culture for me. And what are as a as a leader as a business owner? What are your core values? What are your core principles? How is the business constructed? How does the business operate on a day-to-day basis? And how do people do their job? And I remember the first two coaches I hired at Metabolic. I got, I got lucky a couple times in this business. Uh, candidly, I think we all do, who have a, you know, luck is on a lot of our sides at times. And the first two people I hired, Lindsay Abel and Drew Smith, and they're still with me today. They're still two of my best, my best coaches. but I was sick of people always wanting to work out with me. That's one of the reasons why my name is not um, in in my business with multiple locations, because I didn't want them to associate it with me in my my particular scenario. I know you have a unique situation for yourself, but um, I didn't want them to associate with me. So I taught Drew and Lindsay everything. I created an acronym of performance called cement that stands for different markers of being a good coach. And I graded them on those things relentlessly for months. Once they had mastered that, Kelsey Donahue and James Wilson came in and I taught them how to do it. And then I taught other people how to do it. And then I taught Kelsey and Lindsay to teach them how to do it. And so just just really taking the time in your training, I think, is incredibly important. I think it's boring. It's not fun. (laughs) It's tedious and no one likes doing it. But you really, you got to teach your people how to fish. Otherwise, you're going to be catching all the fish for them for years. So that, that really is, is, is how we were able to do it. And something that is
0: a huge part of our development to this day. Mm-hmm. Look, you you know, you can only grow a business as fast as you can attract. Right. Train and retain the very best people. A hundred percent. Simple, right. And, um, you know, and, and like I said, I, I know, I, I think I talked to you a couple, about a month ago and I was saying, you know, I, I, I realize what you, you know, what you have done is not easy and there's a reason why a lot of people can't do it. Um, tell me about your podcast. I know you got, you got a couple podcasts.
1: Yeah. So, um, podcast. So we have, I'm very well versed in the podcast world. Uh, Lindsay and I have a podcast metabolic Academy. So we talk about a variety of issues related to metabolic training and things like that. Um, nutrition, health, wellness, really just focusing on trying to help people lead healthier lives, uh, both physically and mentally. Cause I think you could agree. One of the biggest benefits of working out on the physical component is, is the mental benefit as well.
0: Yeah, so talk to about, talk to me about wellness and you know and 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 diet. I know you you've been a fanatic about. I someone told me once they saw you cut an almond in half to eat. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but <laughs> <laughs> <Something> <laughs> me, Sorry, I, about, but I know you're very disciplined about yeah. what you eat. Yep, I know you take the whole macro thing very seriously, and yeah. when people do it, it works because I I think you would agree with me, you know. Eighty percent of what you look like, seventy percent is what goes in your mouth. Uh, you know, obviously, fitness is very important, but you can't overcome eating incorrectly right. by working out. Would you right. agree with that? As, a, as someone who's in a you know, physiologist,
1: yeah. And my my philosophy on nutrition, Ed, has really evolved over the years to a place where I've never been in a better place with it mentally. And especially, if I've gotten older, I've gotten to appreciate enjoying my life while also being healthy and that's that's a hard balance for a lot of people but i i do i for me it's just all about your caloric intake just a, a daily you don't have to be neurotic about it and split almonds in half and weigh them or anything i like was that. kidding <laughs> i know i know you don't have to do anything like that. i think my that. wife said to me she was is she was <laughs> so hard, disciplined <laughs> it makes me ill <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, for me though it's it's you can't it's like Ed, it's like knowing your cash flow, right? In, in your business. Like you can't just ignore it and pretend like it doesn't exist. It might work out for you or it might end up very poorly if you're not aware of what it is. So so many health issues arise from just the just obesity, high blood pressure, diabetes, right. things like that, heart disease. Like so many of these things just come from carrying too much body mass and body fat. So simply by getting enough protein, eating a diet that's rich in vitamin and minerals, but also I eat chocolate, I eat pretzels, I, I eat stuff like that. But it all fits within the context of a caloric range that I strive for every single day. you know. And, and I think that that's what wins the long game for me. I found when people are too strict tracking, all, I don't really track all three macronutrients anymore. I did for years. I, I don't really do that anymore. Um, I have a six-year-old son, so it's impossible to do right. that. I uh, I track my protein intake loosely, and I, I keep a pretty good eye on my caloric intake. Um, and I allow myself to have more if I'm hungry. You know, like that's the biggest thing for me. But mm-hmm. I, I eat things that I enjoy, um, and I do it in a in a in a method of eating that I find sustainable. I'm big into I'm big into daily activity. I take a lot of steps. I, I think that there is such a thing as I do believe in eating more and moving more. I do believe in that. Um, and I think that's really sustainable for a lot of people. I think going on starvation diets where you're not really working out much or moving much, like that's just really hard. And I I don't think that's, I don't think that's a way to live. I think that's, that's waiting to die. That's not living. And I want to live my life. So, um, that's how I I live it.
0: Yeah. So I don't know if you know, there's a do you know Mark Nelson? He's a cardiologist. I do know him. Mark. I, I actually,
1: ironically, his uh, wife, Margaret, was true, on that first true. group of LaSalle Moms, and his son, yeah. Jake, was on that team. So I'm very familiar. So,
0: you know, Mark left, uh, I mean, he's he's in his mid-70s. He's amazingly fit. Yes. And um, about 10 or maybe 12 years ago, and he was doing that take share, shape for life stuff. And, right. and, we had, and I had talked to him, and he said to me, he goes, Ed, you know, I left Madison I couldn't practice anymore as a cardiologist. He said that he goes, you know, no one is ad- addressing the elephant in the room, which is obesity, right. and and he says I, I cannot send people for cardiac caths and all this any longer. Just like you know, with osteopenia and and uh, and sarcopenia, he goes, right. you know, like the orthopedic surgeons fixing bones that are broken. And he goes, the disease is not diabetes, it's not hypertension, it's hi- hypercholesterolemia, it's obesity, and no one is willing to have this conversation. And I've seen it with you know family members who go to the doctor and clearly need to have that conversation with the doctor, and the doctor doesn't want to talk to them. And I understand because the physicians are, have so much time constraint on them now that they know they look at it as an uphill battle. You know, I'm going right. to have the conversation with Mrs. Jones about her obesity. She doesn't want to hear it. I don't want to talk about it. What, I mean, clearly it's a problem in this country, right? 67% of our, our population's obese. What, what do you think is a solution for that? I mean, you know, you're, you know, you take incredible care of your body. Yep. What do you think is the, you know, how, how do we, how do we fix this problem? I mean, it's I, something that's very disturbing to me. I find.
1: I, I do too, but I think a lot of it, Ed, I'm just keeping it real and just being honest. I, I think it's, A lot of times the American way is just all or nothing, Um, very polarizing, very extreme with nutrition. You know, uh, we have a thing at the gym that I started called Donut Wednesday, where I eat a donut every single Wednesday. And a lot of our coaches do too. And a lot of people were surprised that I do that. But my point is you can have a single donut and be very, very lean, very, very healthy and have a good relationship with food where you learn, okay, I had one donut. I'm not going to have seven (laughs) and then pretend like it didn't happen, which is, what, unfortunately, a lot of what goes on in, in our society. So I think learning basic, good eating habits, getting, getting a lot of protein, getting a lot of fruits, vegetables, but also having things in moderation and not demonizing food and mm-hmm. having an understanding about what, what are calories, what is a caloric intake? What does that look like? What should I be eating each day? Loosely, just, just ballpark. It's just so, it's so easy. It's not hard. Um, you just have to be willing to, to acknowledge, like I said, with money, mo- I always make the money analogy because it clicks with most people. They understand it. I said, like, if you were paying your bills, you would look at what's in your bank account. It's the same thing. It's no
0: different, but you just have to be what, you just have to have that mindset that you're going to acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. What do you tell someone who's, I mean, obviously your whole life is, is wellness and fitness, but you know, there are a lot of people who, who have, who have, you know, maybe not exercise their entire life and, and are very intimidated to come into to come into a gym oh, yeah. or start something new. How would you recommend, you know, how, how do you, what, you know, what advice do you give someone for doing that? Because you and I both know someone comes into your place and they're talking, they break the ice and the, the people are good and you know, they're going to overcome it. But there's a lot of fear of going to the gym for people.
1: Oh, absolutely. And, and I completely understand that. We get that all the time. People always say to me, Oh, I need to get in shape before I come to the gym. I, I <laughs> I've heard that hundreds of times in my life, but I think for me, what I always tell people in our program, in particular, and, and Ed, Ed, you've done it, so you you know what this is like. And it's kind of like being in a wrestling match. You know, when you're in the middle of a wrestling match, you're not aware of what's going on around you. You're kind of in that moment at that time. Can't even hear? It's just, it's just, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can't even hear it. It's, I don't want to scare people even more. You can hear. You're, you'll be all right. But uh, I think I think you just you got to put blinders on and you got to understand when you're in that moment, so is everybody else. And no one's watching you. No one's judging you. It's for you. And it's for your benefit, but an old phrase that always stuck with me really well, and it's simple, but it is what it is. And and your current level of health and your current level of fitness, you're either in another one that I love, you're either getting better, you're getting worse. You're, you're not going to improve it by doing nothing. So Mm -hmm. by coming in there and just being brave and doing your best you're gonna be shocked at how you feel. And especially with our program, we do design it in a way where we set people up for success so that they're not getting their heart rate out of a a zone that's dangerous for them or they're not trying to get sick or they're not getting injured and they're doing variations of movement that work for them. Just as a quick quick closing thought there, um, my mom is 70 and she does the workout and sometimes when I do it, <laughs> I never thought when I was lifting weights in, at Siena college, I never thought I'd see the day where I'd be working out, lifting weights with my mom. But, um, that's what I'm doing now. So, yeah. um, and she's smart about it, you know, and she, she, she loves it. It's movement. Ed. it's movement. You got to move your body. You got to move your body.
0: Yeah. No, I don't disagree. Now you, you mentioned, you clearly wouldn't be as successful as you are without culture. And you mentioned that once or twice before, Yeah. and I got to tell you that for, I, for a lot of people who are starting and running a business, that whole concept is nebulous. But you and I both know it's critical. Oh, yeah. It's critical to your success, critical to your business. How specifically do you build your, like, I mean, there's, I'm not talking like one thing, but like, what are, give me examples of what you do on a daily basis to build the culture. And there's an old saying, you know, you got a great culture when people refer to it as almost a cult.
1: Yeah. So, I'll just back up a little bit, Ed. I want to compliment you because I, I've watched you from afar and, and how you operate your business. And, I mean, we're doing this podcast at 7 p.m. I'm sure you got up quite early this morning. I had a full day of surgeries and things like that. And here you are talking to me, um, just your hardest worker in the room, right? And so I think for me, yeah, I've I mean, always... Yeah, i got a good I example, mean, <laughs> right? In my eyes, you are. And, and so I've always been like if this was a military type of situation, I've always been a lead from the front type of guy. And I've never asked someone to do something that I haven't done myself. And I think showing people, and, and to this day, I actually coached Sherry the other day, and <laughs> to this day, I'm still, just like you practicing surgery, I'm still mm-hmm. coaching classes and, and running the business. I, I do coach because I, I only coach a couple a week because that's all I have time for really. Yeah. But I, I love it, I absolutely do. But one of the main reasons that I do it is so that everybody sees that I'm not above anything. Like there's no one above this product. And, and that's what comes first. Um, servicing people first, getting people to believe in the product and the people and the community and that. But getting that buy-in and that belief and that it's not a bunch of fluff or BS and that it's real and that it's, it's through the culture that you build by leading from the front and, and having people watch you, watch you do it every single day. And Ed, you're probably very successful for that same reason. I mean, I, I see what you've built, and um, you know, I read your book. Also, um, Sherry brought in a copy. I don't know if you know that
0: <laughs> Sherry brought
1: in a copy a couple months ago, so I already knew all that story about uh, how you you went transferred into Cornell. But uh, I um, I think you got to lead from the front and, and just be a hard worker. Treat people fairly, kindly. I've always been a believer, and I treat my employees like gold. Um, I've heard the phrase golden handcuffs. I don't love that phrase, but I guess you could, I, I suppose that's what I've done. Um, is, is treat them so well that they, they can't leave and that your turnover is yeah. low and that they, they're cared for, you know?
0: Yeah. No, um, I mean, they're, those points are all well taken. And I, I, I try to do the same thing and you know, I'll, you know, we've always, we've had some challenge too. I'm sure you probably have it with uh, some real rockstar um trainers that that you know think they're above that and it's hard for your culture um you know yeah your your people don't respond to it well they don't follow them because they they don't you know they they're not setting that example
1: yeah i think ed one thing i would say to to your listeners because i know we're talking a lot about business here i think your second tier of leadership is in some ways more important than than you or i Um, the the tier that comes below you that directly manages the rest of the employees. And um, whether it's you know a management level position or a D level position, I think that line, that tier is very important because if your employees know that those people are your loyal soldiers and they are tied directly to you and that they're on your side and they see things your way, but they're also relatable and can connect with the employees. Now you've bonded a lot of people together for a common cause. And a lot of people, I think, the mistake they make is they try and do all that on their own, right? And you're one person; you can't do that on your own.
0: No, right? and I, I, you know, I'll be honest, a lot of young, uh, you know, young doctors I, I, I mentor and help, you know, bring along. They really do fall to that because they, they don't understand that, right. you know, they were they, they don't understand. It took me a few years to figure it out that the oh, yeah. it's all about the team. It's not about me. No, uh, and. and you know, when I, you know, I hear them laughing it up and having a good time yeah. and knowing that they're bonding in the, you know, the best oh, yeah. they would rather be like, well, you say there's home and there's, you know, whatever but for us, you know, when 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 I feel like their workplace is, you know, part of their people. Um, yeah, they love, they love being there and that's, that's how you build culture, but yeah. it's it's, it's a hard thing to put – it's hard to really describe it to people, but I, I think that that says it quite well.
1: Well, I think it comes from you, Ed, and I think it comes from emulating emulating you and, and wanting to work hard for you, um, not because you asked, but because they have the utmost level of respect for you and, and what you've built and, and what you believe in. And, and I think the reason that it's hard to teach that is because I don't know that you can. <laughs> you know, like, I think that's a tough thing. I think you got to be a pretty good person. And yeah, I, mean, working I think
0: if you, if you have someone, but there are some people that really, if they're, they're really eager and if they are open-minded and true, careful, true. Then you can teach Yeah, you. absolutely. I want to be respectful of your time because, you know, sure. but I want to ask you one more question. So yeah. where, where is the future? You know, like, what is your future going to look like five years from now? What is your big vision? Uh, what, you know, what are your next big steps? And then I'll let you go.
1: Yeah. So it's funny. I, I don't, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know. I don't know. You know, yeah. I, I at one point in time I, I thought I wanted 100 of these, 200 of these. I've talked about franchising and not to segue too much, but I, I don't yeah. believe I'm going to franchise because I don't know that we have such a tight level of control and systems on our, our process that we really need to have some type of corporate management to really control and dictate the way we do things. Cause I think when we assign ownership to other people that can change a little bit um, when you involve money, it always does. But um, I I'd just like to keep going Ed. I'd, I'd like to keep going. You made an interesting point earlier, and I'm in a position now in, in my life in my career where finances are not my limiting factor in growth, it's people. And I will only grow as fast as I can acquire exceptional talent. And just like any other business, we go through spells where we get a lot of it and then we don't, but, I'd like to think we're we're kind of coming into our own and really have identified um, some nice, nice structures and systems that will allow us for growth. But man, I mean, if I, if I could double in size in the next five years, that'd be amazing. Um, yeah. And if I didn't, I'm very blessed to have the life I live today. So.
0: Well, you make a really good point there. So I don't know if you know this, but 70% of acquisitions fail and, and, and they may not fail like flop go bankrupt. But right. They fail to deliver for shareholders, yeah. and and so whether it's an acquisition on a bigger level or whatever, but the, and so it gets back to the to the people thing. The the reason that seventy percent of acquisitions fail is you just can't cram cultures together. No, but as you build a culture like you have, you start to attract more people. It's not it's not as hard to get those people over, right. but you can only grow organically and successfully by attracting training and retaining the very right. best people. Right, uh, And it is a stepwise process. So, um, but I mean, I think you're dead right on there. And like you said, I mean, I, I look at the same thing. I, I just want to continue to see growth. I um, feel like we're making impact and, um, you know, in and, and delivering for, you know, for our team. I, it's, for us, it's not just our customers. I think our, uh, you know, taking good care of our people is, as important or more important to the customer because the customers, they could, you know, just like Southwest said, right. You, we take care of our, our, our people. So they take care of you. And it's the same thing with you.
1: Right. Well, yeah. I mean, I I've been to your facility yet and I, I have to say um, just the people, what I took from, from my experience was I came away from it. Like, wow, I need to work on my, my systems with my customer service because your customer service is exceptional and your people oh, are saying that, professional. But I, we we have that- see- we all see the ticks on the underbelly. Of the I mean, I, I didn't see many. Um, I, I thought it was an exceptional experience. And it was obvious that there's a system, that they've been trained in a system. And that was pretty impressive to me. So yeah. that's something that we're always looking to fine tune as well. It's hard. Yeah. It's tough.
0: Well, look, I, I really, I, listen, I you know you're a busy man, especially with, uh, you know, you got your son and, and Kara probably putting up with you. because she's surprised to not
1: screaming right now. He's doing
0: all right. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, I, I really want to take you for thank. thank you for taking the time. Yeah. And, um Thank you for having me. Yeah, and uh, you know, congratulations on the on the amazing work and and um, you know what you contribute to the community. So thank, thank you, you, sir.
1: Much appreciated.